Welcome again to Lakeshore. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome Smyrna Campus. We're glad you guys are with us today. If you connected with us online today, we're glad that you have found us there. Every Valentine's Day, there was a campus newspaper at a college campus that had a section for student messages. And last year, one student surprised his girlfriend with roses and a fancy dinner at a fancy restaurant. When they got home from their date, returned from their date, she got to her place and started leafing through the paper to see if he had written a note to her. And down at the bottom of that page of notes, she found, Bonnie, what are you looking here for? Aren't dinner and flowers enough? Love, Scott. So he had remembered to do a message, but he wanted to get the point across. I mean, just how much do you expect me to do when it comes to showing you my love? And the series we're starting today is called Love Does. It's based on a book by the title from a book by Bob Goff called Love Does. And I'm not going to be really using the material in the book except maybe a few quotes or illustrations because the book is mostly Bob telling stories of how people have shown him love in his life and how he has tried to turn around and show love to others. The whole point is love actually takes action. Love is a verb. I highly recommend the book. I think it's a great one, but I think those are Bob's stories to tell. But I took the titles of the chapters of his book and developed from Scripture uh, messages based on those principles from each of those chapters of what love does when it's lived out in our lives. So we're going to start today by defining biblical love. Because in our culture, uh, and it's been this way for a long time, we have taken the word love, especially in the English language, and we've watered it down, and we use it in so many different ways. And that's just not true in Scripture when it talks about love. In English, we've got one word for love, right? It's the word love. And we use it for all kinds of things. I say, I, I love my mother, right? And then in the next sentence, I say, I love spaghetti, I hope those aren't exactly the same, right? Uh, there should be some different variation of what we're talking about there. Uh, in the Greek, it wasn't that way. Greek is the, the language that the New Testament was written in, and there were several different words in that language for love. And the one that is used in Scripture, there's more than one used in Scripture, but the one that is used to talk about God's love and the love He calls us to have as Christ followers is the first thing on your outline, and that is it's agape love is the word that's used. And you may have heard that before if you've been in the church a long time or you've heard other lessons or, or messages about this, but it's the Greek word agape. And that's the word that is used in 1 John 4. Verses 7 through 11, and it's used many times in the passages there. So I want to read through it again, and I want you to listen for how love is being defined and illustrated. This agape love is being defined and illustrated by what John says here in 1 John 4. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. All of these loves are agape, okay? Love, agape love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. Okay, so he's going to illustrate agape love from God. And here's how he illustrates it. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. 
This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Okay, so he says, here's what love, the love of God does. It, it sends his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what love does, the love of God. So he says, here's the conclusion we need to come to. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, agape love, we also ought to agape love one another. We need to love each other with this kind of love that does the kind of thing that God does because he loves us. It's, it's a love that is always put into action. Uh, in 1 John 3, 18, he said, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Okay? So he's saying love takes action, but it takes action in the truth. Remember, he tells us in Scripture to, to proclaim the truth in love. You know, we could, we could take the truth and really hurt people with it if we want to. But he says, no, that's not what love is. Agape love is you stay in line with the truth, but you love with this kind of agape love as you stand in the truth of God. God's done that with us because he never compromises the truth with what he teaches us. But he sent his son to die for us at the same time. You see the balance with those two things with love and truth. That's what agape love is all about. Uh, I've given a, a definition. You can put this in your notes here. Agape love. Agape means it's a choice. All right. Remember, so you're not, you're not bound by your emotional feelings at the moment. Okay. It's a choice. Agape love is a choice to commit to seeking the best for another. It is a matter of the will. And then I added this, it's not what we think of usually as romance. When we think of love, especially in the month of February around Valentine's Day, our thoughts go to romantic love. And romantic love is a scriptural concept, and it is a good thing. That's not, though, what God is commanding when he commands us to love one another. If it was, then we could simply say to God, I don't feel that toward that person, so I don't have to do it. Right? Don't we use that excuse though sometimes? Even in our marital love, we say, I don't feel like I love that person anymore, so I don't, I'm not bound anymore to that person because I don't have those feelings anymore that I had before. That's the excuse we use for dissolving a lot of relationships, not just marriage, but friendships and a lot of other relationships. But this love is a love that is an act of the will, which means you can choose to do it because love does certain things, or you can also choose not to do it. But who's in control of whether it's done or not? You are. I am. That's the love of Scripture. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of choice. God I'm sure, doesn't feel great about everything we do and everything we say and the way we act all the time. Don't you think there are times he's not happy with that with us? But what does he still choose to do? Love us. He still chooses to love us and give his son up for us. That's the agape love of Scripture. There was a husband and wife that had been married for 60 years and they had not kept any secrets from each other except one thing the wife had done. There was a shoebox in the closet, 
And he had, she had told him, don't, don't ever open it unless I tell you it's okay. Don't look in the shoebox. For 60 years, he had not opened the shoebox, had not looked in it. But she got very, very sick, and she was on her deathbed. And he asked her, you know, before you die, would, would it be okay for me to look in the shoebox? She said yes. So he opened up the shoebox, and there he found a crocheted doll and $95,000 in cash. He asked her, what's this all about? And she says, well, I'll explain it to you. My mother told me before we got married that a secret to a happy marriage was to never argue. She said, instead of arguing, I should keep quiet and crochet a doll every time I'm mad at you. Just stop what I'm doing, go and crochet a doll. And so he felt pretty good. He was touched by that because there was only one doll in the box. He thought, man, I did pretty good for 60 years, just one doll. One time she was mad at me. But he was still a little confused. He said, okay, uh, well, what's all the money? She said, well, every time I made a doll, I went out and sold it and kept the cash in the box. <laughs> you look at that 60-year marriage and think, oh, how great, right? I can assure you in any 60-year marriage, there's had to be a choice. An act of the will, many, many times over, to still choose to love that person. Even in the moments where you don't feel that love very much at all. That's the only way any relationships last. It's the only way that connection with another person can last over a long period of time. Because every person will have times when they let you down or disappoint you or they're not what you hoped they would be for you. That's true of every single relationship in the world. And so you have a choice to make. Will I love them the way God loves me? Because we've given God lots of reasons not to love us. If it was based on just an emotional feeling at the time. But he has chosen to keep loving. So agape love is what allows us to be there for each other, even when it's hard, even when we don't feel like it. We do what love does, even when we don't feel like doing it. And there's some great examples of that in Scripture. I want to focus on some scriptural friendships here where people loved each other like this, and we have a record of it in Scripture, and, and where it allowed them to have a, a long-lasting relationship uh, with each other in spite of the fact that there were moments and times where it was very difficult to do that. And we can learn, I think, from these examples. The second thing on your outline here is some friends in Scripture that, that demonstrate these things for us, this attribute of love. The first one is Job's friends. I want to start there. It's one that we don't focus on a whole lot because the, the book of Job, quite honestly, is a hard one to read and a hard one to understand in a lot of ways. Uh, but I think we can learn some really powerfully important lessons here. Uh, in Job chapter 2, Job has just gone through a horrendous period in his life. Satan has been allowed to attack Job. And by God's permission, he's been allowed to attack Job. Uh, God put some restrictions there where he couldn't kill him, but, but he was allowed to attack him in every other way. And Job has lost children. He's lost his herds. He's lost his standing in the community. 
he, he's lost almost everything that we would think of as blessings, right, from God. His family's been just destroyed by death and disease and just terrible things have happened. And he's at the lowest point of his life when we pick up here in Job 2. And he has some friends that hear about, they've, they've heard about what's happening to Job. And they decide to come see him. And we pick up there in Job 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, if you say it real fast, nobody knows how you say it anyway, right? <laughs> heard about all the troubles that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement. All right, so they all decided, let's meet up and go see our friend Job. Okay? Uh, they... they uh, they decided to go and sympathize, is the word in the Hebrew here. It's translated in English, sympathize with him and do what? Comfort him. So remember, they're going to sympathize with Job and to do what for Job? Comfort him. See, their first thought was Job's going through some really difficult things. And as a friend, what should we do for our friend? We should sympathize with him and bring him some comfort during this time. I can't tell you how many times we could all point to someone that we maybe thought was a friend who when we had troubles like that, their first response was not to sympathize and comfort. It was to take advantage of our downfalls or our failures and use it against us somehow. You've had that happen, so have I. All of us have, okay? But agape love chooses... When you could kick the person while he's down, instead, you make the choice to offer sympathy and comfort. I just want to pause for a moment. Uh, I just saw it again, very much on social media, when Kobe Bryant and his daughter were killed in the helicopter crash, and uh, seven other people died in that crash. What do you think the family and the friends needed at that time more than anything else? People to do what? Sympathize and comfort. But yet there were people who immediately tried to drudge up every bad thing about Kobe they could do and remind everybody of that. See, that's not agape love. That's the opposite of agape love. Could we find some negative things to say about Kobe Bryant? Absolutely. Could we find some negative things to say about Pastor Andy? Absolutely. Could I find some to say about you? Absolutely. I don't have to know you well to know there's some negative things there that we could drudge up and expose and spend time on. And Job's friends could have done that too. But instead, their decision was to go and sympathize and comfort. That's agape love. That's what separates it from the other emotional kinds of love. So, It says in verse 12, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. Have you seen somebody go through just overwhelming trauma, what it does to them physically when they go through that? It can take a toll on a person, can it? They can lose weight. They can have hair fall out. They can can, uh, physically be ill all the time. You see, that emotional grief or trauma can just destroy your physical appearance during that time. It really can. And they were just shocked when they saw their friend Job. And they saw what 
this had done to him. It says, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. And immediately, here's their response, they began to weep aloud. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. They, now, now, we might think that sounds pretty odd, but in that culture, that was a response of, of not just sympathizing, but empathizing with a person in their moment of, of grief and trauma. It was like an act of repentance before God, seeking God on their behalf. To do that so so this is not something that's just a random thing here this is this was something that culturally they did to show to the person we grieve with you we empathize with you we care about you when they did this okay so they demonstrated this to Job in his presence it says it goes on to say verse 13 they sat on the ground with him on the ground right an uncomfortable place that's probably where Job was in his misery they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. We like to pop in for a moment, you know, and what did they do? Seven days, seven nights. They were there with him. But listen to this next phrase, this next statement. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. And I think we messed this up on on two extremes sometimes sometimes we feel like well let's leave the person alone completely because they're going through this hard thing right now so we don't even reach out at all right I think that's a bad thing uh, I, I think everybody would appreciate somebody reaching out to them when they're going through something like that so it's a good reminder to us that that extreme is not the extreme either right but then we sometimes go to the other extreme and we say these tired old cliches to them we do all the talking instead of allowing them just to grieve at the time they need to grieve I have a personality type, and I've been studied a lot. And, and uh, like uh, Sheldon says on that show, uh, my mom had me tested, and I'm not crazy, but I have problems. So uh, I have this personality type, this tendency to want to fix things, right? So when I see somebody going through something hard, my first response is, here's step one, two, three, and four to get you back where you need to be, right? You just need to do this, do this, do this, and, and I'll help you, and we'll get it done, and it'll all be good, and I want to fix it. That's my personality type. So I really have to rein that in. If I agape love that person, I need to allow for the fact that what they're wanting right now is not somebody to fix this because the point is we can't fix it in most cases. If somebody's died, you can't fix that. Somebody has been given a, a, a diagnosis of terminal cancer. You can't just fix that. You don't have the ability to fix that. Neither do I. Right? Somebody's just lost their job and, and, or had a financial crisis in their lives. I can't fix that. I don't have the resources or the ability to fix that for them. Neither do you. So the point is not to try to go fix them. The point is to be there. I entitled this message, I Am With You. One of the greatest acts of agape love you can do is just to be there for people. Let them know you're there with them and for them. Just be there. You don't have to say, you know, we all get nervous about saying the right thing and we're trying to figure out what's the right thing to say. You don't have to say anything, really. Just be there. And if you do want to say anything, just, just make it something that shows you love them. You're just there because you care. 
They just need to know that more than anything else. I've messed up on that a lot of times. I'm sure maybe you can think back on times when you have to where you try to jump too fast and say something too quickly. And, you know, we'll go in and say things that just aren't helpful at all a lot of times and sometimes even hurtful. And so let's remember the, just the presence of a friend that loves you is really the most comforting thing you can have. And they sat with him quietly for seven days and seven nights because they saw how great his suffering was. They needed to allow him to go through that, to process that, to deal with that over some time. One of the quotes I love from the book from Bob Goff said this, I used to want to fix people, but now I just want to be with them. I like that. Our job is not to fix them. Our job is to be with them. To be Christ with them as much as we can be. There's no higher calling than that, just to be with them. Now, that doesn't mean there's never a time to say anything. It doesn't mean there's never a time for correction or instruction. There, there are proper times for that. But in that moment, that's not the time. When a family just lost their husband, father, brother, son, and a helicopter crash, that's not the time to spew out theology to them. That's the time to just be there to comfort them, to strengthen them, to help them get through what they're going through. We need to be that agape love for each other. So that's a great example. Now, I do want to illustrate, I don't want to leave Job without saying in the next few chapters, they couldn't hold it any longer, and they really messed up. They started out good, but then, especially uh, Eliphaz, uh, decides he needs to do some teaching to Job about why he's having all these bad troubles, and it's because there must be some sin in Job's life that has caused all this, right? So he, he messes up. He, he started out doing what he needed to do, but he couldn't hold it in anymore. He just had to lay in the Job. You wouldn't be in this kind of mess if you hadn't really been living a bad life, right? Isn't that where we go a lot of times? Isn't that where we jump to a lot of times? Now, the truth is, Job wasn't perfect, but he had not committed any great sins that caused this to happen. This was simply the work of Satan in Job's life. Job did not cause this to happen. Satan caused these bad things to happen. We blame the wrong person when bad things happen in the world. Satan's behind it all. Every evil thing, every destructive thing, every harmful thing, you can be sure Satan is behind it. Now, does he work through people a lot of times? Absolutely. But who's ultimately behind it? Satan is. And in Job's case, this was the work of Satan. This was not the natural consequences of decisions that Job had made. And his friends should have been willing to hold him up through this and, uh, and not accuse him without good first-hand knowledge of what was really going on. So another example in Scripture that I really love too is, is a friendship between two unlikely friends. It, it's David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. Uh, you might be turning to 1 Samuel 18, uh, verses 3 and 4 there. 
David was a rising star in the kingdom, right? He, he was a young shepherd boy that God had designated he was going to be king. Uh, he had, as a young man, killed the giant Goliath. A lot of you know that story, right? So he's a national hero because he took down uh, the, the, the giant of the enemy before them, the Philistines. And, and so he was being praised and, and loved. And, but Saul was the current king, and Saul became very, very jealous of David. Now he tried not to be on the front end. He, he, he thought David could, David even came and played the harp for him and he welcomed that and it brought comfort to him and he thought that was great. But he started getting jealous of David and Saul's son was Jonathan. And Jonathan and David made a connection. They became really good friends. I mean, David's living in the, in the palace for a while. He's playing the harp for Saul and helping, and he's leading military conquest and, and all of that that's going on. And, and he and Jonathan formed this really close friendship. But here's the thing. Saul's jealousy and anger began to grow against David, and Saul decided he had to destroy David. Now, Jonathan is his son, but David is his friend. And Jonathan's put in this place where he has to decide, am I going to be a friend to David? Or am I going to, to, to pull back from him because my dad, my dad wants to destroy him. He doesn't like him anymore. Now, agape love has a choice to make there, right? See, Jonathan could have been, if Saul had handled things well and stayed king, Jonathan could have been in line for the kingdom himself. But Jonathan learns of God's plan for David, and Jonathan wants to be a friend to David. Let's look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he, what? Loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. All of those are symbolic of saying, David, I know you're God's anointed, but you're my friend, too. And I, I love you like a brother, and I want to honor you as somebody who loves you like a brother. And I'm going to covenant with you to be your friend. We've all had people, maybe right now you think of, that early on in your life, they've been a lifelong friend. Early on, you just kind of had this connection, and you've maintained that connection for a long period of time. Jonathan and David had that for all of their lives, that kind of connection and that kind of friendship. But Jonathan was questioned by his father. He was challenged by his father not to be friends with David and to turn over information about David to him so that he could find him and kill him. And what was Jonathan's response? He was always loyal to his friend, David, always. We also all know people that we thought were our friends that we thought we could count on to be loyal, and they've let us down. They've stabbed us in the back. They've talked about us, or they've ridiculed us, or they've been jealous of us and not supported us when we want, wanted them to. We've all had some of that. We know how much that hurts when a friend or somebody you thought was a friend does that to you. And Jonathan had every opportunity to do that to David. And it would have been to his advantage to do it from a worldly viewpoint. He could have gained a lot by turning David over, revealing the information. 
so that Saul could hunt him down and kill him. But he stayed loyal to his friend. Friends, that's, that's agape love. That even when it could be temporarily to your advantage not to be that friend, you choose to be that friend anyway. That's agape love. Even when it could make you more popular to turn against the person. Even when it could make you uh, have advancement yourself if you threw that person under the bus. I like that term, you threw me under the bus. Nobody wants to get thrown under a bus, I guarantee you. Nobody. And a real friend will never throw you under the bus. And we're thinking about people doing that to us. But here's the thing. We are the ones instructed to love like this. Christ followers. Are we throwing our friends under the bus? Are we gossiping about them? Are we tearing them down behind their backs? Are we taking advantage of somebody not thinking as well of them so that we could have advancements ourselves instead? You see, if we love with agape love, we're not going to make those choices. Because agape love is always about a choice you have on how you're going to respond to that person, always. How you're going to respond and support them and back them up no matter what. There's another friendship in Scripture that I love in the New Testament. It's Paul and Timothy. There's so many I could have picked from, but I picked this one, Paul and Timothy, because as a pastor, I really relate to this one really well. Uh, Paul, you know, is a leader in the church. He had been Saul. He became Paul. He's a great apostle and missionary to the Gentiles, and he had done great work for years. And there was a young leader rising up in the church named Timothy. Now, what would be the, the first natural worldly tendency to have when you've been the leader for a long time, but there's this young whippersnapper coming up that's doing really well, and people are now seeing him as leader? What's the first worldly response you think you might be tempted to have? Jealousy. Jealousy. But Paul did not respond that way to Timothy. Instead, what Paul saw there was great potential in this young leader. And he wanted to help Timothy reach that potential. Because he loved him. He chose to love Timothy with agape love. Let's look at a couple of passages where he talks about Timothy. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 17. Timothy's working with Paul now. He says, for this reason I have sent to you, Timothy, my, what word does he use? Son, whom I what? Love. The word there is agape. He could have used the Greek word for friendship, phileo, but instead he uses agape. Phileo is a good word. A friendship love is a good kind of love, but agape is even stronger than phileo, friendship love. Agape goes more to that idea of really wanting the best for the other person to the point that you're willing to sacrifice yourself so that they can have it. He calls him my son whom I love, and he brags on him, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So he says, I want to recommend him to you as somebody who's doing a good work and who will continue to do a good work. You need to listen to him and what he's teaching you. That he's learned from me. It's like he's introducing him and, and, and preparing the way for people to accept him and that role of leadership in the church now. Wow. What, what a gracious thing to do for someone who could have kept himself only in the spotlight instead of sharing it with a young man coming along behind him. He says in Philippians 2 verse 22... But you know that Timothy has proved himself, 
And listen to how he describes their relationship. Because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. They were not blood related. Timothy was not his literal son. But he says, I, I think of him like my son. And any good father who really loves his son, what do you want for your son? You want only what's best for your son. That's the agape love thing, right? And though they didn't have a real bloodline father-son relationship, because of agape love, he could love Timothy like a son. And he could recommend him and elevate him and support him and encourage him. He held him accountable too. That's part of what you do with agape love, right? But he wanted to prepare the way for Timothy to have success in the work of the kingdom too. One of the worst things that happens in the church world today is jealousy between churches and pastors and who's getting more attention and who's got the bigger church, you know, the, the, the bigger numbers and all of that. And it, it, it's ridiculous because we're all on the same team, all of us. And we all, as Christ followers, are on the same team. So if anybody who's part of our church does well, it's a blessing to the whole church. If anybody has success, if anybody struggles, it's, it's something the whole family should be affected by and come around them with love and support. You see, that's, that's agape love. And one last example of that is, is a relationship that's really unique in Scripture, too. It's between Jesus and the Apostle John. Uh, I, John is referred to in Scripture as the Apostle whom Jesus loved now did he love the others absolutely he loved all the apostles he loved all those who followed him he loved people who didn't follow he loved his enemies but there's this special connection he had with John and you see that phraseology used a lot through John's gospel the disciple whom Jesus loved look at John 19 verse 25 Jesus has spent these years with John and the others and They've gone through everything together, and now he's hanging on a cross. All right? He's been beaten and spit on. The John and the others have seen what's happened to Jesus. But near the cross, only one disciple is mentioned as being there at that time. Who is it? John. John's the one there. Okay? Listen to what it says. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, can you imagine what Jesus felt like? When he saw his mother there at the foot of the cross, she's been there the whole time. She's seen how he's been treated and beaten and nailed to that cross and lifted up and how he suffered there. on that. Can you imagine how it broke Jesus' heart to see his mom there having to watch all that? And can you imagine the heart of Mary having to have seen her son? Be treated like that. So Jesus, I'm sure, his heart is breaking for his mother. And he wants to be sure she's taken care of. So here's what he did. When he saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, all right, who, who's close by still, John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. When he had to decide who's going to take care of my mother after I'm gone, who did he pick? John. Why? Because he had agape love for John, but he knew John had agape love for him. 
which meant he knew he could count on John to take care of his mother the way his mother needed to be taken care of. You see, agape love seeks what's best for the other person. It's never easy to take in someone and care for them in your home. That's always a difficult thing to do. We've got family members here doing that for members of their family and for friends where you are caring for them. And and it, it wears on you and it's a struggle and it's hard. There's no doubt about it. But what an act of agape love. And Jesus knew he could count on John to do that for his mom. See, I wanted you to see those examples because when I used the sermon title, I am with you, here's the challenge. As followers of Jesus, he wants us to do that for each other in the body of Christ. He wants us to be there for each other. To do life with each other. To be loyal to each other, even when it's hard. So many people, they get get all upset about something in the church and they walk away and not some of them don't just walk away they try to tear down people while they leave in the process of leaving that's not agape love never has been never will be agape love always seeks what's best for the other we all i've got things i could say bad about people that have left the church they've got things they could say bad about me that will always be the case I choose not to because of agape love. I'm never going to criticize that person who left, even if they left mad, and even if they criticized me, because I know how that hurts when somebody does it to me. It doesn't matter who you are, it always hurts. It doesn't matter how strong you seem to be and what kind of face you put on in public, it always hurts when you had somebody you thought was a friend who's doing that to you, always. No matter how righteous they think they are in doing it, it always hurts when somebody does it. Sue Ann and I have experienced it, and so have you. And here's the thing. Agape love does not do that to somebody else. It doesn't. And so we're being challenged here to love like Jesus, to love our friends the way we see in those examples. They're not perfect, but they chose to love even when it was difficult. And I want to show show in the next two points here how how that translates in directly to our relationship with Jesus. All right, number three on your outline is this. Jesus with us. You see, Jesus can ask us to do this for each other because that's exactly what he does for us. He's with us. He's for us. He's not against us. Let's go back to the Great Commission. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus made a promise in the Great Commission. Here's what he said. He came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he adds this promise. Listen to this promise. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Who is always with us? Jesus. What an amazing promise. We give him every reason not to be. We've given him more than enough reasons to walk away from us at any moment. But he promises he will always be what? With us. Always. How's that lived out? 
How do we experience that? Well, Jesus knew that we were going to need this, and so he prepared in advance a way to be with all of us. He was just one person in the flesh, right? Could he be with everybody while he was in the flesh? No, he couldn't. But he had a plan, a way that he could be with every one of us all the time. Listen to Acts 2, verse 38. Peter preaches that gospel sermon. The people repent uh, uh, of their sins. They're convicted. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive a gift from God. Listen, you will receive the gift of who? The Holy Spirit. You know who the Holy Spirit is? It's God. It's Jesus. You see, in spirit, where can he be all the time? With us. Every one of us. All the time. When you are baptized into Christ, he comes to make his home in you. And he said, I will never leave you. I'm with you always. So everywhere you go, whatever you do, even when you mess up big time, who's still there with you? Jesus is. He's still there with me, no matter how badly I mess up. That's agape love, friendship. The scripture says, as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know who he's talking about? Jesus. And in his spirit, he's with us. I'm with you. In Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, he said this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. And I love this next line. Listen to the next line. What can mere mortals do to me? <laughs> Isn't that great? If you have the king of the universe living in you, what can a mere mortal do to you? That he can't handle. Nothing. You don't have to live with fear or trepidation. No matter what happens. Even if friends do let you down. Other friends. Even if people do accuse you falsely. Even if they don't treat you the way you think you ought to be treated. Who's always still with you? God in his spirit. Jesus in the spirit. He's always with you. And he's never going to leave you or forsake you. But here's the final thing. We know we can count on that. But can he count on us? What about us with Jesus? What about us with Jesus? You see, he wants our agape love for him. He wants to know we're with him always to the very end of the age. He's going to be there for us. The question is, are we going to be there for him? Or are we going to be unsteady, unfaithful, undependable, in our relationship with him. I love what Jesus taught us in John 15, beginning with verse 1. He uses a beautiful analogy. I don't have time to go into it in depth, but I want to read through these passages, and I want you to understand what he's talking about here is how we need to maintain our connection to him because we choose to stay connected to him. Listen to what he says. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And then in verse 4 he uses this language. Remain in me. Some translations say abide in me. The word that's used there means Make your permanent residency in me. Live there all the time, every moment of every day. Stay 
connected to me. It's a choice. It's a choice we have to make because of our love for Jesus. Why do you stay in a marriage even when it's hard? Because you choose to keep your commitment in that marriage. It's agape love. Why do you stay faithful to Jesus? It's because it's an agape love choice that you make. A commitment that you make as an act of your will to stay in relationship with Jesus. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, do you hear a theme here? Remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. Over and over again, he's saying, you have to remain in me if you want the life and the blessing that comes from our relationship. If you do not remain in me, he says, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, that's not one of those health and wealth passages, okay? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you remain in me, you're going to ask for the things that are in line with my relationship with you and your relationship with me. You're not going to ask for the stuff that's outside of that relationship. Okay? You've got to have that qualifier there. All right? Then he goes on to say, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be not my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. Now how do we demonstrate that we are remaining in Jesus? Here's what he says in verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made complete. He says, I know you want to have joy in your life. I want you to have joy. What's going to be the source of joy? Your connection to him. Your relationship with him. He says, if you'll remain in me by keeping my commandments, that's how you remain in him, that's where you're going to find my joy for your life. You see, he doesn't want to force this relationship on you. He wants you to choose it because you know it's the place where you're going to find the joy that you're looking for. It's found in that relationship being intact with him. He says in verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. He says, I've told you the truth about everything. Everything the father, all the wisdom of the father, I've, I've shared it with you because I love you. And I want my joy to be in you. And I want your joy to be made complete because of your relationship with me. Let's pray together. Father, Father, we thank you that, that you are with us. It's so amazing. We've given you every reason not to be. But you choose to be with us. You even made that choice knowing it would cause you to have to come here be clothed in the flesh, become an obedient servant, and die on a cross. But you remain with us through all of that. And you remain with us today. If we choose to be in relationship with you, you will never leave us or forsake us. But we must make the choice to be in you. You're calling us, Father, into that relationship. 
through the sacrifice you made on the cross. It wouldn't be possible except for the forgiveness of sins that you've paid for. You've paid the price so that we could have this relationship and be one with you. If there's anybody today who needs to come into that relationship, to begin that relationship with you, I pray that today they would take those steps that they need to take. And if there are those of us who have not valued that relationship like we should, we ask you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And for those who need to repent and come back to you, we pray that today those steps would be taken so that relationship could be restored. Father, we know this. You've not left anyone. You're still there for them if they would only seek you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.